This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. The one thing we can all agree on that's meaningful is love. That's the one thing we can all agree on. Seriously, that's the one thing. Because you all know that your whole life is kind of revolving around it. Some of us, our lives revolve around the pain of love. Because love comes with a big amount of pain. And those of us who have been hurt and have had to become relegated to, to singlehood or... You know, just not the intimacy they were after. Meaning, uh, whatever people get into. Make a blessing both. In a world of meaninglessness, the one thing we can all make me know, we know is universally meaningful is love. I mean, there's, I'll prove it in a million different ways. One is Hollywood. Every movie is about it. No matter what it is. It could be an adventure, it could be a horror movie, it could be a sci-fi thriller. But there will be a love love there will be a love theme in there. Otherwise no one's coming. No one's gonna watch it. Um, the material world, the whole financial world, is completely and totally fueled by love. Uh sorry. By love's counterfeit. Love has a counterfeit. And the counterfeit of love, who can guess it? Begins with not lust. Fear. Yeah. By the way, I'll say something about lust. Lust is uh, sexuality is the outer expression of inner connection. But people whose inner connection got burnt out by by painful relationships, by hurt, you know, damage done. So they they often get relegated to just the physical act, meaning all they've got left is outer expression. Without the interconnection, but true intimacy is is in sexuality is the outer expression of interconnection. And for all of us, by the way, it's important for all of us that we reclaim intimacy to our lives. All of us should reclaim it, meaning meaning all of us should reserve sexuality for interconnection. When we got the interconnection, that's when we open the door to sexuality. When there's no interconnection, sexuality is just not on the menu. It's not part of my life. It's only for interconnection. And this also goes for married people and being faithful to one's spouse. Meaning, meaning we've got to maintain that interconnection in our marriages. Marriage has ups and plateaus and ups and plateaus. But if you don't pay enough attention to it, you don't realize there's dips. You gotta watch your intimacy. You gotta watch it, you gotta monitor it, you gotta put an EKG machine on intimacy. Because sometimes you think it's plateaued, but it's actually in a dip mode. And and people make big mistakes in those dip modes. You gotta pay very close attention to things there. Because love is is uh Loving connection is, is the meaning of it all. Now, let's look at us. Oh, so I was saying the counterfeit is... Fear. Now, the counterfeit is attention. You'll notice that ever since love didn't work out for you in your life, that it's been about attention. Think about it. Consider, like, consider whenever your heart got hurt badly, 
you'll notice that ever since then you've been seeking attention. And that's every SUV and BMW and... Thanks for coming, by the way. Can you do me a favor? There's an air conditioner right in front of you. The upper panel. Yeah, the bottom right corner. Bottom right corner of a little tiny button. No, no. Yeah. One, one time. Thank you. That's more better, man. <laughs> that thing is loud. Now, I don't know how long you guys are here for your sound bite, so I'm gonna, but I don't want you to leave right now. So hang in there. Right now, I'm gonna hang in there for sure. Hang in there a little bit. Yeah, give it to me. The counterfeit of love is attention, because attention, when you're getting attention, it feels like love, it looks like love. When you see someone else getting you, like everyone loves it. Best example is like rock stars. I had a, I had a young teenage girl who had probably the most beautiful voice you'd ever heard. I didn't get to hear it personally, but I heard about it. And the uh, and she had all the looks and all the everything. And she was sent to me by someone that she needs to go speak to a rabbi about her dream to become a rock star. So she comes and I'm like, what do I do with a budding rock star, 14 year old, you know, who's dead set on making it out there. And uh, anyway, so I meet her, and we sit down, and I'm like, what do I do with this girl? So God just, like, sends me. Remember, it's never about how. It's always about what. And what is that she should not be a rock star. She should not be a rock star, period. And I don't care who she is on this planet, she should not be a rock star. If it's too late, she should be blessed. If it's not too late, she should not be a rock star, period. She wants to be a pop star. <laughs> yeah, pop's probably the better word, popping pills and stuff. So, <laughs> a pop star. <laughs> so what happens? God sends me the how. I had an iPad right in front of me. I go on the iPad and I just put in the search on Safari. I put in life expectancy of rock stars. And I get the most amazing website that goes all the way back to the 1940s. Huh. Till, till present. And I wish I, I, I'll Google it again may, later maybe and I can find it again. Because this was many years ago. This whole story took place, gee, I don't know, 12 years ago. So, not even 12 years, maybe about 10 years ago. Anyway, so I Google it. Or no, I know exactly how long ago because I know the girl still. It was uh, eight years ago. Anyway, no one lives till forty, and it the, it says they it says the day they were born, the day they died, the how they died, meaning their name and what they did, and how they died, and then in the right hand column was their age, you know, the final score <coughs> at the end. What's the percentage related to drug abuse and substance abuse? So, so there was a there was about. Um, <coughs> A little more overdoses than suicides. A little more. It was like maybe 65, 35 overdoses, suicides. Because, and I'm, I'm, I'm here to not explain suicide. I'm here to explain the overdose. But anyway, so, so let's just say when we finish that whole thing, the girl just looks at me. We barely spoke. We were only together for like maybe 20 minutes. She says to me, I don't think I want to be a rock star anymore. And she, and she, this girl's in a seminary uniform, you know, 
you know, the blue shirt with the, you know, the seminary uniform. And she just, like, walks out and goes to seminary, like, to the girls' yeshiva. Never looked back. Never looked back. You know, happy adult today. Very holy. Like, she's, I, you know where I saw her? I saw her handing out Shabbos candles in the shuk. So she's still using her looks to get women to light Shabbos candles in the shuk, you know, because she, she commands a lot of attention. And her voice rings like a, like the heavens. And and so she's announcing Shabbos candles at the shuk and handing people, handing people a little pack of two candles and how to make the blessing of the two candles. And that's where I saw her last. And and the so she's still making public appearances. And the uh, anyway, but let's talk a little bit about attention. And that is that these people on their rock star fame usually die on the day of their biggest concert. And no one can figure it out, but it's easy to figure out, especially if you're a doctor, is that you cannot rest ever when you have public appearances. There's no such thing as rest. I mean, there's no like, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling well. What you do instead, if you're not feeling well, is you've got to pump yourself up with something to feel well. And ideally, that would be yoga and meditation. And then you'd have probably what Sting was doing and why Sting's now in his 60s and still, you know, just got honored at the Kennedy uh, Music Festival in front of the whole world's dignitaries and has made such a mark on the music world like nobody else. And thank God he left the police which was a crazy risk for the best rock band ever to have hit the 1980s. And somehow he had a vision that that would be the way to go. And he was right, unlike the guy who left before Freddie Mercury walked in. That was the bad move. But obviously from God that he should have walked. Now, the um, but the problem is at night when you finally get to your hotel room, there's nobody clapping anymore. And I always thought, those guys are rich enough to hire people to clap. <laughs> I mean, just set them up in their bed and just have a couple people around just clapping. You know, just keep clapping while he sleeps. You know, so he just doesn't have to get that deep, dark, empty feeling inside his heart or her heart like Amy Horhouse. Did I say Whorehouse? Yeah. <laughs> what was her last name? Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. <laughs> I, really I was like thinking about that. I was like, that didn't sound right. Yeah. Sorry, Amy Winehouse. It's not her real name. <laughs> The rest is about love, but you guys know all about love. So. It's all all you need is love, actually. <laughs> but the real thing. Thanks for coming. Oh, I'm. Uh, by the way, I'm on. You can ask him, but I'm on live every day on Facebook. Which uh, this time Israel, eight o'clock Eastern. Where do you guys live? What what country are you guys from? United States. Oh, yeah, about? All over. All over. Chicago. Anyway, yeah. It's a little early in Chicago when I'm live, but it's on all day. And if you go on Facebook, you can get all the archives on my website on Facebook called I'm a Sea of Love. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yo. I gotta rehearse for the next Oh, you're gonna rehearse? Yes.
really want to hear you play it. I have a guitar. I have a guitar here, so maybe we'll jam a little. You want to jam a little after? For for each. I'm gonna for no no. You're gonna do your thing. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna jam. For okay. All you need is love. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's really horrible that it's really horrible that that the um, that people have stolen the word love for sexuality. Meaning that there's actual, uh, you know, that there's there will be shops with hearts on them. It, it may even say love, like it's weird, and like websites that are set up to lure people in to start doing some loose clicking. Usually, they'll say something about love. And none of this has anything to do with love. This is all purely surface, like the last millimeter of one's existence. You know, your existence is like you got your soul. So you got like the you got the echida, then you got the chayim, then you got the neshama, then you got the ruach, then you got the nefesh, and then the nefesh USB cable clicks in to your brain. And so your brain can report to you because you don't exist anywhere in the body. But the bottom of the nefesh is where your consciousness begins. And it needs something to report to it. So you have your brain that reports to it. So just to let you know what's going on around you and keep you clear of your environment so you know the geography. Navigate. And then you got your brain, which is amazing. I mean, think of the brain's capacity. And then you got all the emotional circuitry and creativity and all this stuff is like who we are. You know? All of that is who we actually are. But the very, very last, last micrometer of you, most of which is dead, actually. That's why if you let it go for a few days and then soap, up, soap down with a loofah, you can literally remove a whole, that whole micrometer is really dead. It's really just dead. But it's not so dead that it doesn't have nerve endings. You can feel it. You know, it's, it's got a sense of feel. And, but on that very, very last micrometer of our bodies is where sexuality is. And yet, watch how sexuality will absolutely consume someone's whole being. It will consume them. Sexuality is like, a, it's like Pac-Man. It will just consume you. And that's why our sages said such a such a pithy and, and eternally true statement, and that is that that is who is the strong person, and the answer is someone who has their sexuality and also their food and any other like you know serious base desire. Anyone who has those desires under control, anyone who's got that under control, that's the strong. Someone has got that under control. Now, very interesting, our same sages in the same Mishnah, in that same Mishnah, meaning it's called Pirkei Avot, in that same Mishnah says, don't ever trust yourself, which means that that's, a, that's complex. It says, don't trust yourself till the time you die, yet it says, who's a strong person? The person who can trust himself. Pretty interesting. On the one hand, it says, seek to be the strong person. Who's the strong person? strong person who has control over his or herself. Seek that. Be that person. 
But yet the Mishnah also says, don't trust yourself. If you become that strong person, I'm just going to explain it now. If you become that strong person, don't think you're not without vulnerability. Don't think you're invulnerable to to fall hard into you know those same desires. It's quite interesting. So on the one hand, build yourself up, become a strong person. On the other hand, never trust yourself from those from those vulnerabilities. Now, someone asked me today, why do people come together when there's, when there's struggle? Why do people come together when there's struggle? And when things are fine, people don't really seem that Caring as they usually as they are when there's struggle in life. You have a question? Well, um, the way the question was phrased is that why you say does, it loud. Why does God, God bring suffering in order to bring us together? Like why is that a way? Uh, the question already assumes that God was the one who brought the suffering so that there can be togetherness. That's where I was going to go with all this, but. <laughs> So let's go from the top. Let's just go back to the top. The top is that the world is a, is seemingly meaningless. Okay? Someone raised with meaning in life. So, it's, you know, like we earlier we had this Hasidic couple in here. Like, they were not given a choice at all. They were just told life's meaningful from the get-go. You know, like, life is not meaningless. It is totally full of meaning. In fact, it could be for that Hasidic couple. It's the first time they ever heard that people would think that perhaps life's meaningless. Because that's just not one of the thoughts when you're raised Hasidic. That's just not one of the issues. There's a lot of other issues, which I often go into with a few public speakers who's not shy about discussing such issues. But the uh, but one of the issues is not meaninglessness. They don't have big, you know, existential crises. And the but for the rest of the world, if you look at the world, it seems to be meaningless. You know, if you have a hundred people watching an event, you don't get a hundred opinions on what that event was. Hence the arbitrary, how arbitrary, how random. So then what is it actually meaningful? And so the one thing that we can say is 100% meaningful is love. And that we are connected. When I say the word love now, I'm talking about that we're connected. Now, love works with a volume knob. And one of the numbers on that volume knob is not zero. Okay, that's not one of the options when it comes to love. I know a lot of you are giving a big zero to people. Some of you even have minus ten. Like yours goes to minus ten for like people who've harmed you get minus ten. You notice that? Anyone who's harmed you got a minus ten. So mine doesn't go to zero. It doesn't even get to zero. The lowest number on mine is a one. And that goes, that's like for, that's like for mean cab drivers. No, that's not nice to say. Mean cab drivers are like, they get like a three. I think, I think pedophiles get a one. I think they're, they're in the one level. That's a they get. What's that? Oh, I said Sean. 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 
But I'm very loving towards pedophiles. In fact, I do my best to make sure they're behind bars. And I've actually been able to facilitate that when I've been brought into cases where they needed someone and uh, to help get some truth out of people. And, uh, I'm good at getting truth out of people. I get used for that sometimes and get people behind bar- bars, but I love them so much that I want them to always be in the exact right place, which is jail. <laughs> that's just out of my love for them. And the, um, anyway, but people are seriously, seriously damaged when it comes to love. Seriously damaged. Our, for example, our hearts broke. Your heart broke probably 500 times by the time you were I mean, what parent in the world hasn't blown it with their kids? I've been running around class to class like some kind of rabbinic rock star and been interrupted by a phone call and I hear crying and they're like, yeah, I, I read I read this phone number off your your five-year-old's, you know, little, little lunch thing he wears around his neck. In Yiddish, it's called a teshele. And I'm just like, oh, supposed to pick him up an hour ago <laughs> there were no bus there were no buses today now what do you think if it were 20 minutes before I was supposed to pick him up if someone told me hey you gotta go pick him up do you think there's anything that would stop me from running across town and picking up that boy is there anything I mean, you could have gotten 50 drunk Russians who were given this specific job by what's the name of the Russian Prime Minister Gorbachev What's his Putin. name? Putin. Putin or Putin? Putin. That's the president. Okay, whatever. <laughs> if Putin hired 50 Russians to prevent me from getting across town to my son, they would fail. <coughs> you understand? Like, that's not... There's no way my five-year-old is going to sit outside of his kheda, his, you know, elementary school and first grader and watch every kid get picked up and then stand there crying for an hour until someone had mercy and asked them you know, if everything's okay. And we all, you, you don't even know what went, you went through. <laughs> There's no way to know. And for all you know, your parents were, those parents told you, let them cry themselves to sleep. <laughs> if your parents were those parents, man, I don't want to marry you, that's for sure. You know. You're still going to be crying yourself to sleep because you're going to perfectly sabotage the marriage such that he's going to storm off and you'll cry yourself to sleep because that's how you fall asleep best. I mean, we've all been through so much. That, that's the whole thing. Why do people want to protect children? Because they're the most vulnerable echelon of society. Why are they so vulnerable? And the reason is they know the magic trick. The magic trick is someone holds your heart, and you get this incredible feeling. Have you, Roseanne, you ever felt that? Anyone ever had your, held your heart, and you had the most amazing feeling in your life? Just me? Come on. Slicha. Every one of you have had that. 
you're probably all thinking about, you know what you're all thinking about? You're probably thinking about, like, meeting someone you're going to marry. I did that whole questionnaire where you were supposed to raise your hand was supposed to be, like, somewhere when you were, like, under 10 years old. Maybe you don't remember the magic feeling. Anyone here remember the magic feeling of being held by your loved ones when you were young? Just knowing there was something safe there? I mean, no one was going to drop you for anything. You know, it's an amazing feeling. And obviously, we want to seek that level of emotional security in a, in a spouse. You know, we all want that. And of course, that's not simple. So, so men at least have to make take the plunge, and pop an insurance policy on your ring finger. You know, which is like just the probably one of the greatest sacrifices a man will ever make in his life. Which you girls, I know you want to puke when you hear that, but yeah. but it's just you know, look at the tabloids. It's absolutely true. For a man to dedicate his entire life to one woman. Is, is I mean, just looking at the fear in these men's eyes, just hearing him say those words, is you know, I mean, we're gonna have to like change diapers here. The it's it's like just the most horrible thing that a man ever faces. And, and you should know when a man gets engaged, there's a voice in his head after engagement. There's a voice in his head that says, it says, you just made the. After the after the party, meaning after all the chaims and everything, he goes back home, lays in his bed, looks up at his ceiling, and he's like, "You just made the biggest mistake of your entire life." And that voice gets louder and louder and louder until the wedding day, until his wedding day. And for this reason, it's really important to girls to stay really far away from the man who asked you to marry you. If you get engaged. Don't even get anywhere near that guy until the wedding day. Just don't even get near him. Because, you see, when a man is saying in the back of his head, and this is part of meaning making, when a man is saying in the back of his head, maybe it's her, maybe it's her, on each date when you're going out, maybe it's her, maybe it's her. You know what that means? That every little thing you do is magic. Everything you're doing is magic. Every little thing she does, yeah. But that's because there's a voice in the back of his head saying that maybe it's her, and he's staring at you. Except once he gets the new voice, have you just made the biggest mistake in the world. I mean, he literally like wakes up the next morning and he's looking at. He suddenly noticed every single girl that is walking on Jaffa Street. Like, he never saw that many single girls before until the next day. I don't know where all those single girls come from, but the day after you get engaged, the, like, God imports an extra thousand single girls per city block. And, of course, every Shabbos meal you go to, like, you're trying to go to meals that are just men. And it's just, no matter where you go, like, there, there's another six single girls at the Shabbos table. Now, all those things—that's the suffering he was talking about. Yeah, all those things that, all those things that he thought were cute about you, 
those same things are exactly why he's made the biggest mistake in his life. The literally craziest thing, the same exact things that he thought were true have now become proof. They flip, like they grow pointed ears and things. So everything cute about you is gone after they engage. And so you just gotta stay away from the guy. You know, just send him like a blow-up picture of the two of you at the engagement party. And just like let him just hold on to that. That'll be his, his little memory of having met you. <laughs> Till the wedding. Well, from the wedding and for the next 50 years, that voice gets quieter and quieter. <laughs> 50 years. From the, from the wedding and for the next 50 years. Yeah, you can't hear anymore. <laughs> like, huh? So, from the wedding for the next 50 years, the voice gets quieter and quieter. Now, you know why I say that? The reason I say that is... Why? Kids get louder. Kids? The kids, kids get, get louder. No, the reason I say that is because is that women have to know women have to know about their about post marriage. That's not when you let it all go. Okay, that's that's not when you let it all go. Post marriage, you're still married to that creep. And you keep the creep interested. And it's just the way it goes, man. It's a sad, chauvinistic, misogynistic, horrible truth. It's just one of those ugly parts of God's world. It's called men. And Judaism, thank God. You know, Judaism is like... Judaism is probably one of the only traditions in the world that says that men are jerks. And we... We're, we have the earliest feminist document on the planet called a ketubah, and it protects the woman in marriage. It's you know how old that document is. I mean, most feminine, most feminist, you know, legal documents are from like the last seventy years, probably, and the majority of them probably the last year. And the and the you know how old this document is that protects the rights. In all different ways and all different details, uh, quite a quite a, uh, a complicated document just to protect women in marriage is you know all that it is is three thousand three hundred and thirty one years old and not one Jewish man has been married without one and not only that if you don't know where it is let's say they couple out of fire or whatever something happened. The couple, a married couple of 10, 20, 30 years, can't sleep under the same roof until they get a rabbi to write a new one, and they're not simple to write. And uh, this happened in Haifa. You know, you remember there was like big fires in Haifa? There was some terrible fire. And, and you know what they did? They had to bring emergency rabbis and, and in like yellow vests. With tassels, <laughs> emergency rabbis came in with with with, with neon yellow sitzes, and they sat at they sat at desks, they sat at desks, and just couple after couple after couple came to get their ketubah so they could go home together, or wherever they were staying because the government provided some places and they weren't allowed to stand under the same roof because a woman's not allowed 
to spend even one night with her own husband without protection. And we, we, we take this very seriously. And speaking of tassels, you know what these tassels are called in Hebrew? They're called tzitzit. You know how you say that in English? Very simple. Men are jerks. <laughs> That's it. In Hebrew, it's called tzitzit. In Hebrew, what is it, men? Tzitzit. No, in, he- in English, sorry. In English? Men are jerks. Men are jerks. Now, there are some aren't men who aren't jerks because you've been raised by women. Because our fathers were ripped out away from us and sent into offices, and we were raised by, you know, ten years of female teachers and taught us exactly how to please the female and how to be nice and be the nice guy and all that stuff. But if there's anything less attractive to females than a nice guy, I, I mean, I can't even think of it. <laughs> and so, all you men who think you're like, you just. All you men who pride yourself on the fact that you wouldn't hurt a fly, you better just go buy a fly slaughter. (laughs) And by the way, the inference isn't to make that you should be a not nice guy. You should be a nice guy, but you should be an integrated man. Which is going to be therapy. You know, good luck. Good luck. I mean, you you guys are so far gone. I mean, you you wouldn't... find the manhood inside of you if, you know, you had a, a microscope, you know, like it's, it's just not there. It's, it's, a ther- it's therapy. You're lucky, your generation, like, I'm also lucky. You know. I got, I, I have my factory settings, you know, indelibly marked in, my, in me by a sports fanatic father, you know, and I don't know why in the tenth row of the Ram games you need binoculars for cheerleaders. <laughs> and as much as I'm embarrassed to be raised like that, I gotta think, especially in this generation, people have tremendous struggles even about their, even the nature of their sexuality. Is, is in question. Anyway, men are men are pretty creepy, and and Judaism is very big on that. Very big. It's, it comes up over and over and over again about us, and this is why it's very important in our marriages that we. Um, be careful of plateaus. It's okay that marriages plateau, you know, like marriages, you know, you meet someone, it seems cool, you get married, it's amazing. And then and then and then marriage kind of looks like this after that. Except people have to be very careful in the plateau parts because sometimes there's little kind of silent dips. And even though it looks like nothing on the chart, when you're an actual man or woman, and perhaps a man or woman with with uh, some some you know history, sexual history, and, and today with the internet and the chat groups and like all the all the, I mean, there's just a world of trouble someone can get into online. The uh, you have to be real careful of these dipped these dipped areas here. Those dipped areas and. 
And that's why in, in marriage we have to monitor our connectivity with each other, our, make sure the USB cables are clean and, and everything's, 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 you know, strong, strong connection. We have to monitor that. And that's why one of the rude awakenings is when someone does have, when they're in dip mode and someone does fall, the person who was betrayed, the person who was betrayed knows that that he or she is not 100%, the other one is not 100% to blame. Meaning, yeah, he is a jerk or she was a jerk, but but the connection was what was wrong. Because you can't breach a contract unless there's something wrong with the connectivity of the people involved in the contract. Meaning the connectivity was off. And so... And so we all have to be hyper aware of connectivity when we're in contractual agreements. The contract's not enough. And the sacrifice that's made to be sacrificing all other possibilities to marry one person is not enough to, uh, to uh, maintain, uh, to be impervious. We're never impervious, but we, we have to always stay with our finger on the pulse of the connectivity. Now, um, the one thing that we know is meaningful is is love, because we all know what love feels like when we have it. It's something you can't argue. Having your heart held is the most beautiful thing in the world. God knew that when he created us. And he doesn't just want it with our marriages or our children. He wants it everywhere. He wants us to be connected to everywhere. God notices when human beings are, are not carrying each other's burdens. My son's in a very detailed, complex piece of Talmud. My nine-year-old son is in a very complex piece of Talmud over whether or not you have to unload someone's donkey. And the whole argument is, is it is it the, is our concern for the donkey, or is it our concern for the owner of the donkey? Well, what if the owner of the donkey is an idolater? Well, if our concerns for the donkey, well, who cares who the owner is? But if your concerns for the owner of the donkey and the fact that he's an idolater, maybe unloading the donkey or unloading idolatry or an accessory to idolatry, like, who's the concern for when you take the burden off the back? And here's my nine-year-old going into great detail of what it means to be worried about this world. Whether it be the donkey, whether it be the owner, whether it being your own sanctity regarding being in contact with an idolatrous either item or accessory to it. He's nine years old, but he's getting he's getting deep care involved and in, in, in deep care inducted into it. God wants that from us. And sometimes when God sees it lacking, he'll create struggle and strife so that people can band together and be connected. But let's see if we can all be connected through blessing and not have to be reactive, but rather proactively connected to each other. With the one thing that even the biggest atheist knows is true, but really true, authentically true, genuine truth is love. It's eternal.
and it's the strangest thing, and our whole lives revolve around it, and and it's it's what we're here for, and it's a proof of God, and it's an actual proof of God itself, because it's not so clear. It's not so clear that it's necessary in our physical world for procreation, like the atheists would want to say. It's just plenty of procreation going on without it even a stitch of love in the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, reptiles, birds. But human beings have this whole other thing going on that's not so clear in any Darwinian notions. It's from God. And it's really what we're doing here. And how we relate to that is... You see, I speak so much about it. This class was like a total brain bird. I mean, I was all over the place today. As I told you, I think mountain biking on a hundred and something degree day. Anyone know how hot it was out there? Hundred what? Hundred something. In Jerusalem? Yeah. yeah, I was in a much hotter place. I was in a place called Ben Shemin uh, Forest. Anyway, I decided mountain biking would be the perfect thing to do during lunch break today. So I'm feeling a little high. And but it's been a pleasure, and, and let's all let's understand the complexities of these things and make sure that that we are um, treading lightly. No one gets hurt. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.